Welcome to the Robert J. Morgan Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you believe and cherish the Bible and to learn and love Christian history and hymnody. I'm producer Joshua Rowe, introducing your host, Robert J. Morgan. Rob has written dozens of books with titles like The Red Sea Rules, 100 Bible Verses Everyone Should Know by Heart, and Then Sings My Soul. His newest book, 100 Bible Verses That Made America, is a biblical tour through American history and has just been released. Visit robertjmorgan.com for more details and for free downloads related to this resource, or order from your favorite online retailer. From the pulpit of the Donaldson Fellowship Church in Nashville, Tennessee, here's Robert J. Morgan. This is a message about how to be a truly loving person. How can we learn to love people better, more truly, and more the way the Lord Jesus would want us to? Are you a loving person? I mean, how loving are you if you had some kind of measurement? I have to ask myself, am I really genuinely a loving person? How do we know? Well, that's what this book of 2 John is all about. It's in the back of the Bible. There is 1 and 2 John, Jude, and the book of Revelation. So we're coming today to a study of the book of 2 John. I had an aunt who called it John the Second. We're coming to John the Second, which is the second shortest book in the Bible. There's only 13 verses here. And so I'd like to ask you to read it with me. Maybe somewhere near you, you have a Bible and you can follow along. So the book of 2 John and the one and only chapter beginning with verse 1. The elder, to the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also those who know the truth because the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. It has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as the Father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new commandment, but one that we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love that we walk in his commandments. And as you have heard from the beginning, his commandment is that we love one another. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you will be rewarded fully. Anyone who runs ahead and does not continue in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever continues in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. Anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. I have much more to write to you, but I do not want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your sister, who is chosen by God, also sends their greetings. 
So there you have it. The first question we have to ask is, to whom was John writing? And that's a question that we can't possibly answer. There are two possibilities. One that he was writing to an actual lady somewhere in the Roman Empire, a woman with a number of children who had a sister with a number of children. And John was writing to her. He had run into some of those children. They had told him some things. And so he was responding to what they had told him. And the lady's name isn't given here, nor the sister's name. But this was an address to a particular individual. The other possibility is that John was writing cryptically because there was persecution, there were certain dangers going on, and he was actually addressing here a church and its members. We do that today in a way, we, when there is someone who is ministering in a restrictive or a dangerous area, we are cryptic and sometimes very careful about those communications because we don't want to get anybody in a dangerous position. And so it may be, and I think probably likely is, that John knew that if this correspondence fell into the hands of some official who would bring down persecution on the people to whom he was writing, he didn't want their names given there. And so he was addressing maybe the church at Heropolis, maybe the church at Sardis, maybe the church in some other city, but the church is the bride of Christ. And so he was addressing this church and its members. And so we, until we get to heaven and we can ask John, then we will not know for sure which of those two possibilities. My own inclination is the latter, but it's only an assumption. At any rate, though we don't know the exact person or people to whom this letter was written, there is no doubt about its theme. The theme is how to be truly loving. Even as we read it, did you notice the number of times the word truth showed up and the words love showed up over and over and over again? And it's a very short letter. And so John here wants people to learn how to love and how to love in truth. And that's the main theme. What does it mean to love in truth? It means to be truly loving. And maybe you could see, even as I read through it earlier, that this little letter clearly divides into four paragraphs. Now, John is very clear here with his organization in this letter. When I read 1 John, which we've just gone through on previous Sundays, I can't find any organization to it at all. But here, the organization is clear in 2 John. There are four paragraphs, and it gives us four different levels of what it means to be a loving person. The first level... I don't think you can miss this. I'll show it to you. But if you want to be genuinely more loving, if you want to grow in the quality of the magnetic love that God wants us to have, you have to discover and dig into the truth. Look at the way it's put here. Again at verse 1. The elder to the lady chosen by God and to, his children, to her children, whom I love in the truth. And not I only, but all who know the truth because of the truth which lives in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Christ Jesus the Father's Son will be with us in truth and love. You see how those two things come together. 
So not only do we have to ask what is love, but we have to say what is truth. And for the purpose of this message, let's just define truth as an authentic, accurate reality. Truth is something that is authentic and accurate and real. An authentic, accurate reality. And there are two sources of truth. I think there are only two sources of truth available to us on this earth right now. You can argue with me about it. But the first source of truth is God's creation. He made this universe, the cosmos, with precision. And there are laws and there are measurements and there are things that are realities here, accurate, authentic realities. We can measure, for example, the distance to the moon, 240,000 miles. We can measure that down to the very centimeter. We know that there is truth there in those measurements. We know that 200 plus 200 equals 400. That is truth because there is precision in the way God made the mathematical realities of the universe. He wove it all in. We know that water, uh, water freezes at 32 degrees Fahrenheit. There are certain realities that we know about. So there is truth that comes from the creation. Now, when we discover truth from the creation, then that gives to us common grace. We come to discover what we call common grace. What is common grace? It is the grace of God that floods this world and is received by every single person, regardless of their spiritual condition. I mean, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, we should love our enemies because God is good even towards his enemies. He makes the sun to shine on the just and on the unjust. He makes the rain to fall on the good and on the bad. There is something we call common grace, God's goodness to all of reality. And because of that common grace, there is the goodness within even fallen humanity so that we can have affection. There is a kind of love there, which is an affection. It can be a commitment. It can be some wonderful deep feelings because we are still made in the image of God. And so even without the Bible and even without Christianity, without the cross, there is truth coming from the creation that tells us about common grace and allows us to have genuine affection. And this is why sometimes you may hear about a couple, and they may be agnostic, they may have never gone to church, they may be atheistic, they even may be anti-faith, but they've lived together and had a wonderful marriage for 40, 50, 60 years. How can that be? Because God is so good, and he reveals his truth in the creation, and the creation tells us about common grace, we experience it, and there is the reality here, the potential for true affection among people. But that is not what John is talking about here. He is talking about the other source of truth, which is revealed truth revealed by God in the Bible. There are some things that we can never learn just by studying the creation. Certain things about God, his personality, his nature, his plan, things that he wanted us to know, and you'll never learn those by 
studying geology or botany or astronomy. Can never read them in the stars. So he gave us a book. And this is special revelation. And when we study the truth in this book, then we learn not just about common grace, but we learn about saving grace and about what God did in sending Jesus Christ to die for us and about the dimension of the practicality of his love and how he died and rose again. And through that message, we come to know God and God is love. And so as we come to know him, then we become people of genuine love, agape love, as the Greek puts it, the kind of love that God has. And that is what John is talking about. And so he says, let me read it for you this way. The elder, let's go back to verse 1. To the lady chosen by God and to her children, whom I love and the revealed truth of the Bible. And not I only, but all those who know the revealed truth in the Bible because of the revealed truth in the Bible, which lives in us and will be with us forever and which is personified in Jesus Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son who will be with us in the revealed truth of the Bible, which brings love. So that would be my paraphrase, which means that if you want to become a more loving person, it begins not just with the truth from creation, but discovering and digging into the revealed truth of the Bible. When Katrina and I were married, we were both in our upper 20s, and we hadn't been married before, and we'd been single and, and independent. And looking back, 1976, when we were married, I can't believe how immature I was. I didn't know how to really love anybody, let alone be a loving husband. And frankly, Katrina didn't know a whole lot more about it either, how to love me. And I don't know what would have happened. We were both like so many couples when they get married, so self-oriented and selfish. But Katrina had had a mentor, Antoinette Johnson, who taught her every morning to get into her Bible study. And I'd had some mentors at Columbia International University who had taught me the same. So every morning of our 43 years of marriage, with very few exceptions, we would both begin her at her desk and me at mine in Bible study. And I can just tell you that through the years, we learned to love each other because we grew close to the God of love through studying his word. If you want to become a more loving person, there is no shortcut to this. It's not a matter of just finding a little verse and grabbing and going with it every day. It is a matter of finding that routine of getting into God's revealed truth, which allows you to get to know him. And as that happens, you begin to grow into a more loving person. So that's John's first paragraph here. To become more loving, you have to discover and dig into the truth. The second paragraph takes it a step further. You have to do the truth. Look at verses four through six. He said, it has given me great joy to find some of your children walking in, obeying, following, doing the truth, the biblical truth revealed in scripture, just as the father commanded us. And now, dear lady, I'm not writing you a new commandment, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another, and this is love, that we walk in obedience 
to his commands, that we do what he says. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you love one another. There's a little bit of circular reasoning going on here. John sometimes went into circular reasoning. He said, God's commandment is that you love, and when you love, you keep his commandment, and his commandment is that you love, and by loving, you're keeping his commandment. He is saying that love is doing what God has said. So as we study things in the Bible and we learn about them, then we begin to do them. As I was preparing this message, I read a couple of interesting blogs or op-eds by a couple of women who are noted Bible teachers. And one was named Rachel Maria. And she said that early in her life, she went through a divorce and it was very bruising and difficult. And she recovered and just forgot about relationships and pursued her career in higher um, education administration. And she became very successful. She said, I, I was living really a good life. I enjoyed my life. I had a very good and lucrative career and I had a townhouse and a condo on the beach and I was driving a BMW. And then she said, I met Scott, who was a good deal younger than I was. But we had this romance and we got married and from the very beginning, it was a troubled marriage. I was older, he was younger. I was driven by my career, he was laid back. I was having health problems, he was well. And he said, our marriage just began to die. So she said, I went to my pastor, and I said, my marriage is in trouble, what do I do? And he said, I would suggest that you memorize 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7, and actively work on putting those verses into practice. Well, 1 Corinthians is the love chapter of the Bible, and those verses tell us what God's love is really like. You know them. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not self-seeking, and so forth and so on. So, Rachel memorized those verses, took them very seriously, and every day she went down that list and said, how can I be more patient? And how can I be more long-suffering? And how can I build up? And she said that it wasn't rapid, but it was definite that over time, she said, my marriage came to life again like a plant that has been watered and starts to revive. When you go through the Bible and you see these verses and the Lord says, here is what to do, then you're becoming more loving as you obey them. Let me tell you something. Every single commandment in this book, not just the Ten Commandments, but all of the ones we read in the epistles and the letters, all the words, every single commandment is for one of two reasons to love God more, or to love people more. They all relate to that, every commandment, every single regulation that Paul or John or James or Peter gives. All of the teachings of Jesus, when you obey them, then you are loving God more, or loving people more, or loving both more. That's what the commandments are there for. And so becoming a more loving person means that you discover and dig into the truth. 
It means you do the truth as you find it. And thirdly, it means that you become discerning about the truth. And this is the next paragraph, verses 7 through 9. John said, I say this because, and here we have a real clue as to the reason he was writing this letter. He was writing because he was concerned about something that he had heard. I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as, as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is a deceiver and an antichrist. Watch out that you don't lose what you've worked for. He said, watch out that you don't run ahead or outside of the lane of the biblical teaching. You've got to learn to be discerning. Genuine love is able because of the time we spend in the scripture to discern what is right from what is wrong. That's all mixed up in our world today. But they're able to discern, we are able to discern what is true from what is false, what is good from what is bad. And the key to everything is the person of Jesus Christ. That's what John is concerned about. He says, anyone who says that Jesus Christ did not come in the flesh is the Antichrist. In other words, he's referring here to the gospel. And he is saying the message that we have been giving, the apostolic message, the biblical message, the New Testament message, the gospel message, is that there is a God and he loves us. He loves you. And he really loves you. How great the Father's love is for you. And we're all broken, but God became a man, Jesus Christ, who came in the flesh, and he is fully human and fully God, both natures and one personality. Always has been God, always will be God. Became a man at the mysterious conception and at his birth in Bethlehem, he will always be both God and man. But because he is God, he is pure enough and good enough and strong enough to reach up and to save us. But because he's a man, he was able to shed his blood and die for us and be resurrected. And anyone who denies that gospel is a deceiver and an antichrist and true love discerns that. That means, who's he referring to here? Well, there were teachers in that area going around and teaching Gnosticism and other kinds of false messages and confusing the converts. Today, we're looking at Mormonism. We're looking at the Jehovah Witnesses. We're looking at Judaism without Jesus Christ. We're looking at the Baha'is. We're looking at the Hindus and the Buddhists. We're looking at the atheists and the secularists and the agnostics. We're looking at liberal Protestantism. Whatever and whoever denies that God became a man, Jesus Christ, who is both God and man, and died and rose again, and is coming again for us one day, anyone who denies that message is anti-Jesus. That's what John is saying. He is very adamant about it. And he is saying you've got to be discerning. True love discerns the truth. And finally, in the last paragraph, he says that true love defends the truth. In verse 10, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not take them into your house or welcome them. 
anyone who welcomes them shares in their wicked work. Now, I want to tell you what John is not saying here. Suppose you have a son or a daughter or a brother or a sister or a parent or a close friend, and they're not walking with Christ. They may be far away from him. They may be uh, opposed to the gospel, but they want to come and spend some time, and they call and they say, Dad, we're coming home for, for a few days. Uh, John is not telling you here to not welcome them. That isn't the setting. I mean, he is not telling us that we should be inhospitable to people whom we love and whom we should entertain. Whether you allow or don't allow your loved one to come and spend a few days with you has nothing to do with this passage. So I want to be clear about that. You, you may have other reasons, other criteria for deciding your own rules of hospitality. But this is talking about something specific. In the days of the New Testament, they didn't have a lot of entertainment. And so orators and teachers would come and draw a big crowd. And they didn't have hotels or motels. And so these false teachers would come and somebody would open their home. There was a lot of hospitality back then. It was a part of the culture. And so these false teachers would come into the home and accept the support of the people. And they would go out and destroy the faith of those who are not grounded in good doctrine and theology and use your home as a basis for it. And John said, don't let that happen. Now, isn't it interesting that he writes a book here about loving people and then he says, but these people, throw them out of your house. Don't have anything to do with them. Don't let them stay in your house. Does that sound loving? Well, of course, it really is. Because those people are tearing down the truth, which is the only source of genuine love. So in our context, we don't really let a lot of people stay in our homes typically the way they did back then. But in our context, it would be if there is this person on TV and, or, or this movement or, or this cause and it is not sound theologically or biblically, then don't support that preacher, that cause, that movement, that person on TV or wherever it is. Be defensive of the truth. If you want to grow in your love, for the Lord and for other people and become a more and more loving person, then you've got to dig in and discover the truth. You've got to do the truth. You've got to be discerning about the truth and you've got to defend the truth. The other blog that I read was about a, from a lady named Amy Hess. And she said that when she was a teenager, she lived in a large family out in the country and she went through a lot of turmoil in her heart. She had so many questions, was so unhappy. And she heard somebody say that there was a man and he went out in the woods and for three days he fasted and prayed and after three days he audibly, literally heard the voice of God. So she said, I'm going to do that. So late one night after people were in bed, she got out of bed and she was braving her fear of snakes and spiders and she plunged into the nearby woods and she walked and it was cold and she stumbled and she would cry out and say, Lord, speak to me. And 
By two o'clock in the morning, she was so frustrated and she had not heard the voice of God and she came back home. She found out everybody was up looking for her. They said, why did you go out like that in the middle of the night? Well, Amy went on to college, but her worries and burdens went with her. And one day she said, I was in the gymnasium of the college shooting hoops and I was there by myself and I was overwhelmed and I was just crying. And the door opened, and a family came into that empty gym, a husband, a wife, and two children. And they looked over and saw me sobbing and weeping. And she said, that man walked over to me and said, Jesus loves you, and he wants you to hear his voice. And the Bible, start studying your Bible. And the man turned, and he and his wife and children walked out of the gym. Amy wondered, was that an angel? But she started studying her Bible, and she found as she did so that she grew in her understanding of God and of Jesus Christ and his love and gradually, all of her turmoil just sort of slipped away. And she's become a tremendous teacher of the Bible today. Well, this is what John is saying. He wants you this week, he wants me to discover and dig into, and to do, and to discern, and to defend the truth. And there is something about doing that, I don't fully know how it works but it makes us into truly loving people. Will you bow your heads with me in prayer? Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, thank you for this marvelous little letter, just one page in the Bible, but for its profound message. And Lord, in this day and age, our world needs truly loving people. So we pray that you would do that within us. And now, still in prayer, I want to pause a moment. And there could be somebody listening, watching today somewhere in the world, and you know that you have never personally asked Jesus Christ to come into your life and to give you a complete washing away of all of your faults and failures and to come in with his pardon and with his everlasting assurance of eternal life. I wanna to say to you, you can make that decision right now just by praying this prayer after me. Dear Lord, I confess my sins. I ask Jesus to come into my heart to be my Lord and Savior. I believe that he died. I believe that he rose again. And I believe that I need him. So may this day become the day of my new birth and my new beginning. In Jesus' name.